0: This is Jim Cummings, and you may not know me, but you do know the terror that flaps in the night. And of course, Pooh and Tigger too. And you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful bodacious Podcast. So stay potty or something. i
1: never been to Disneyland. Affirmative.
2: That
1: was definitely an e-ticket.
3: I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone. Not to mention laser discs, high-def TV. You are
2: listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show. How much of the film would you say is again the Tartakovsky film and how much is an Adam Sandler movie? Because <laughs> those are two very different things.
1: <laughs> Just like, you know, collaborating on anything. Kind of, you win some, you lose some, and some are in the middle. And so, uh, you will I think it's pretty obvious. If, if you, especially sure. if you're familiar with my work, it's yeah. obvious kind of what is me and what's not. But generally, it still has a, a, a big tone to it.
3: Here are your hosts. Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. It is another week of another great show.
2: (laughs) They're all great shows. They're all great weeks.
3: I'm just going to pretend this one is the best week.
2: We do that every Every week. It's gotten so old.
3: (laughs) So this week we're going to kind of throw a little curveball out there. And uh, Jamie and I have kind of been talking about it a little bit. Just about the direction of our show and what we're doing and we kind of realized that you know we love disney and that's always a sticking point for us but you know we like to explore a little bit outside of disney
2: yeah i don't i mean when we started out we never really saw ourselves as quote-unquote Dis, a disney podcast you know even from the beginning we kind of defined ourselves as like um you know we used disney as a as a starting point to geek out about various things and that's what we've been doing you know we've had different shows we had you know we had a show about uh you know how to train your dragon we had a show about dino trucks and those things weren't necessarily disney the people working on them may have had a, a connection mm-hmm. to them um but i think that you know we are more about you know sort of the quote unquote geek culture and just sort of what speaks to us as geek dads and you know what speaks to our kids um, and that isn't necessarily exclusive to Disney.
3: Well, and in, in talking about that, some of our most popular shows too are the non-Disney shows. So. Exactly.
2: Exactly. <laughs> you know, we had a huge response to the Dragons episode. Um, we've had a huge response to some of the other guests that we've had on that didn't, where we didn't talk exclusively about Disney. You know, when we had uh, um, Greg Weissman on, that was a very popular mm-hmm. episode and, you know, he, he, you know, had a connection to rebels and he has a connection to gargoyles, but, um, he's done a lot of other stuff. And we talked about a lot of other stuff in that interview. And I think that this is the direction that, uh, we'll probably end up going. We're still gonna have a very strong tie to Disney. Um,
3: Yeah, we don't we'll have these
2: extra episodes. Exactly.
3: Like for our loyal, hardcore Disney people, we're not being like throwing shade on Disney. We're done. No, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. We love (laughs) Disney. You know, we're not
2: paid by Disney. We're not, you know, on their payroll. And we don't see the need to, you know, tie ourselves to one corporation when there's so much other stuff to talk about. And this week is this week's episode of our show is a perfect example of that.
3: Exactly. So this week we had the pleasure of talking to Two different people throughout the week, and I will tell you, um, it was it was quite an experience. we We talked to Gendy, we talked to Gendy Tartakovsky, and he is the director of the just released Hotel Transylvania two, and, and the first one, and the first Hotel. one, yes, and that was an absolute pleasure. I think it was our first time talking to a, a director of a show that or a movie that was coming out that week, so that was quite an experience. Maybe Jamie can talk a little bit more about our other guest and a little bit about Gendy.
2: Yeah. Talking to Gendy was a real treat. Um, the interview that you're about to hear is a little bit short um, just because, you know, we talked to him, we talked to him twice, actually, once um, you know, the day before the film was going to be released here in the States. Um, and then we talked to him a couple days um, after opening weekend. So um, it was, it was actually really great to be able to get his perspective both before and after opening weekend, just to sort of, you know, his anticipation and then, you know, the the pleasure of seeing how much, you know, how well it did over the weekend. Um, so if you hear a difference in audio, that's why it's because we talked to him at two different times and he was calling in from two different um, places. And the audio connection is a little bit different. Following the uh, the Gendy interview, we also had a chance to talk to Matthew Lillard. Um, you may know him as uh, a film actor. He's been in a lot of movies. He was in the original Scream. Uh, he was in She's All That. He was in SLC Punk and a lot of other films. Um, recently, though, he's made a name for himself as the voice of Shaggy. Um, <laughs> he started in Shaggy and Scooby Doo. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know how many Shaggies there are, but that's the Shaggy <laughs> that we're talking about. Um, yeah, he started that role in the, uh, the live action um, remake, I guess. The film, it was from 2002, this, the live action Scooby Doo with Sarah Michelle Geller, Freddie Prince Jr. Um, he was Shaggy in that, and that was the first time taking over the role. And he made such an impression with the voice at that point. He came back for the sequel, and then he has been uh, the voice of Shaggy in almost every incarnation of uh, the franchise since. So he was uh, he was the voice of Shaggy in you know the Mystery Incorporated series, mm-hmm. and he there's a new series coming up on Boomerang, um, Be Cool Scooby Doo, and uh, most of the cast from uh, Mystery Inc. Uh, come, is is wrapping over, and he is still shaggy.
3: So we're gonna get into those interviews. We're gonna uh, we're gonna play them. I think just back to back, maybe, or should we break in? We'll probably have a little musical interlude. Okay. We will be back to wrap it up at the end, as always.
2: First of all, thank you so much for joining us today. This is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Oh no problem. I'm glad to be here.
2: Um. I guess we're going to start off with the new, the new movie, obviously. Um, you're, you're known as a creator with a unique style and a personal voice. Um, you've, you've been that way your whole career. Uh, but to achieve that you, you've, along the way you've taken risks and you've sort of pushed the envelope, um, when you, when it comes to quote unquote children's entertainment. Uh, so I'm wondering what prompted you to return to the world of hotel Transylvania and make a sequel?
1: Well, I think, you know, in the, Making the first one, we kind of, you know, not we invented Dracula or Frankenstein, but we invented this version of it, you know. So it still feels like they were born from kind of all the work that we did. And so initially I actually said no to the second one because, uh, you know, I started working on Popeye and some other things. Right. And then as as I heard the story developing, I was like, oh, you know, I miss it. And also, you know, I had a really intimate relationship to the animators and the animation style of the, of the first one. And I felt like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I should still do the second one. And, you know, the, the studio still were, you know, really after me to do it. So then kind of I agreed. Yeah. It's uh, kind of because you know, I felt like they were still my babies, you
2: know. It's still your baby. Yeah, you felt a connection to it, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, when you took over uh, on the first film, you consciously decided to, to make that film a CG film but have a traditional hand-drawn aesthetic um, still attached to it. And is that something that you also had in mind for the sequel?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, we got such a great reaction to the first one for the animation that we definitely wanted to keep that aesthetic and then keep, you know, try to push it even further, yeah. you know, do more fun animation, more cartoony, you know, um, you know, broader range of expressions, all that stuff. We definitely continued on the second one.
3: So the new film uses a pushed animation style for people that don't know what that is. What does it mean?
1: Well, basically if you kind of compare, you know, the uh, like Disney versus Warner Brothers,
3: right? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Disney is very much, uh, Disney is very much, uh, based on uh, realism. You know, uh, it's very well done. It's that style. It, uh, ours is much more zany. Warner Brothers are very cartoony, exaggerated. Nothing is based on reality. But at the same time, it's a broad caricature, so it's still accessible and you still recognize, oh, it's that type of person, but it's done in much uh, broader way.
2: yeah um, you I mean, I, that sort of segues into the next question. you You've been doing this for a while now, and over the years, there have been a lot of technological advances in the industry and in the field and in animation. And I'm just wondering, how have those advances and changes in animation? affected your personal workflow and creative process?
1: I mean, basically, you know, all the technology has made, you know, it's, it, it doesn't help <laughs> too much with this type of style because, you know, the computers are really made for to mimic reality and that's what they do really well. And for, for us, I want to break reality. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, those two things did not go hand in hand. And actually for the second one, you know, they wrote a new motion blur system for, for the movie. They, you know, wrote new um, modeling and rigging tools, a lot of new animation tools. So now that we knew what we were heading into, so the second one, you know, help the animators and everybody else uh, have an easier time with it. Because this kind of style, it's kind of handcrafted, style where you can almost feel the artist touch on it, is much more difficult to do in CG than uh, in CG, you know.
2: Yeah. Um, aside, I mean, again, talking about the developments that have happened over the years and aside from just being hand-drawn then and, and CG now, is there like a skill or a technique that was, that was more or less par for the course when you were working on something like Dexter that you can't even imagine doing today?
1: Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's storytelling is storytelling. Yeah. You know, I think you... You know, it's the stories that make it, make it successful, you know. I mean, the, the, the CG is just the shine. The pencil and the paper is just the shine. Yeah. So if you have good storytelling, really it's about characters. If you can make good characters that people like, then that's what it truly is about. And it's kind of, you know, I, can, I work in any medium. You know, I want to work in puppets and anything. You know, I'm stop motion. I'm open to anything as long as we can push the storytelling, the style of stories that we tell. And the type of characters we
2: depict. Sure.
3: So it seems as if uh, Hotel Transylvania is now a franchise. It's been announced that the TV series is coming. Are you going to have any involvement with that?
1: No, it's kind of, um, you know, I've got so many other babies that I want to give birth to (laughs) and see grow up that for me, after this movie, I'm kind of in the hotel
2: business. Yeah. You're moving out of the hotel, huh? That's right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we, as long as we've got you, we have to talk a little bit about Clone Wars. Um, and I know when uh, Lucas tapped you to do the, the original micro-series, there had not been an animated show set in the Star Wars universe for almost 20 years at that point. Um, and I think it was immediately clear that you were going for something different than those old Ewoks and droids cartoons. Um, how did the look and feel of that show come about?
1: It, uh, I mean, it came about real, real quick. I mean, the story goes that, you know, they, you know, uh, Hasbro and Lucas wanted more programming and were able were able to do three to five minute episodes. That was the guide of the length. And then the style is basically, you know, me and Paul Rudish and Brian Andrews, we sat in the room and we talked about what we want Star Wars to be. And then it was hard because we're all big fans. And yeah, And, you know, what it's going to look like, are we going to do it like samurai, are we going to do it like what? And so we decided, like, for me, it was like, look, people won't care what it looks like as long as it feels like Star Wars. Yeah.
2: Right.
1: You know? And so, because, like, Paul was, yeah, Paul was like the, you know, the most amazing artist I've worked with, and he was getting kind of locked, locked up because he wasn't sure how it should look like because he could draw it anyway. Right. And I said, look, we just got to be honest with ourselves. Just draw it the way you would want to see it. And then I'll make sure that it feels like Star Wars. And then people will accept it. And that's exactly what we did. I, I I tried to think of iconically what Star Wars seems to me when I watch it. Yeah. And I tried to mimic those ideas. And it's the music, the sound effects, the pacing, the type of shot structure and all that. We tried to put together as we could.
2: Yeah. I, and I, I think you guys achieved that, like, from the first two-minute um, episode is because, you know, it, it definitely had your stylized look, you know, something that, you know, you had made pretty famous with Samurai Jack and Dexter. Um, so it didn't look like what people naturally assumed Star Wars would look like, but, man, just, I mean, those first couple episodes, from right from, from the beginning in the first couple episodes, it just felt right. It felt like Star Wars. Well,
1: thank you. I mean, we, we you know... People don't even realize the hurdles that we're up against with in television, the the limited budget, the the time frame, you know. Uh, and it was all, you know, I've I've taken pride in always surrounding myself with the best talent, and that's kind of what we, you know, the, everybody was really good at what they do, and we were able to bring it all together in this in this way. Yeah.
3: Was there, why was, or sorry, excuse me, why was Lucasfilm so insistent on such short episodes? Was there a reason for that, or do you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I know. Because the way it came about was, you know, Attack of the Clones came out, and it didn't sell as many toys as Hasbro hoped, but there was a very huge financial agreement between the companies. And so Hasbro asked Lucas, like, you know, before. Revenge is Assist. We need some more programming to help sell the toys. This is the way the world works, you know. <laughs> and then George told him, "Like, uh, look, uh, fine, you can have one-minute episodes. You can do something animated and one minute." Because he's afraid, you know, he's he's protecting the franchise, and you're given rights for yeah. entertainment to a toy company. So you know, that's not a good that's not right. So he's going to give one minute, because he's probably thinking, "Well, they can't mess anything up in a minute." And so they were like, okay, and they went to Cartoon Network, who then came to me, they are like, we got Star Wars, but it's one-minute episode. And that's when I said, like, that's a car, <laughs> I need at least three to five minutes to do some kind of story and something substantial. But then they were like, well, you know, I don't know, George said no, but we'll go back. And so basically they went back to George, and they said, we've got Team from Samurai Jack, and he goes, I'll say my jack and I have three to five minutes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that must have felt good, okay. right?
1: <laughs> that felt great, of course, you know. And I think, you know, like you know we don't just start, but I do feel like son probably liked samurai a lot more and that, you know, like, what's your kid's life you want to support the life? You yeah. know. So, uh, uh, so I think, you know, that had to do that has a lot to do with it. But no, it felt great, of course. You know. Yeah, uh, George I- was a hero, you know, and obviously.
2: spoke real briefly last week before the movie opened, and uh, I want to thank you again for your time and taking a, a few more minutes today, today to talk with us. No problem. Um, well, first of all, congratulations on the amazing opening weekend. It was uh, the best September opening ever, the best opening ever for Sony Pictures Animation. Um, I, I'm sure you're going to say no, but were you surprised at all to see those numbers?
1: <laughs> I mean, I was I was definitely hoping and I believe. You know, I think there was a lot of goodwill from the first one, and, uh, and because it was kind of newer, I felt like people aren't, wouldn't be so negative towards the sequel. Um, and so I felt like, you know, you know it's, it's one of those funny things where the community around you is really excited, and yeah. so you feel like, wow, this is going to be huge because everybody's talking about it, but then you don't know if that's going to be outside of where I live
0: <laughs>
2: or yeah.
1: just in, in, in our in our neighborhood. So I was oh. hoping that, that buzz would carry over, and it luckily it did.
2: Oh, absolutely it did. Uh, it, it's a little weird asking you this, of all people, but do you feel like the the success of the, the opening weekend and the success that I'm sure we're going to continue to see, is that validation at all?
1: Validation. Well, you know, <laughs> it's
2: uh, – no, I don't look at it as
1: validation. I think it's, you know – it's it's great timing, and yeah. you know, being a director, like you know, I'm not always happy with everything that I do because I always feel like we can always do better. We can always do better, and that's just you know, as, sure. as a, whatever as an artist, you strive for the best each time. So, you know, I think the only validation is that people like these characters, and I think they want to see them, and and they want to see something fun and cartoony. I think that's my takeaway. And, you know, the funny thing is probably if you talk to anybody who worked on the movie, everybody's going to have a different takeaway from the success. And so for right. me, I think I always look at it like, look, we look in, we live in a world that is kind of difficult and dark sometimes. You know, whenever you turn on the news, it's pretty horrible. So for me, movies have always been an escape into something yeah. fun and and different that I can just not think about the realities and that I have to pay mortgage next month and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so uh, that's kind of how I look at it, and Hotel is a perfect example of that. It's silly, it's fun, it's goofy, and it's got some heart.
2: Yeah. Uh, for people who haven't seen it yet um, and, and are kind of wondering what to expect, how much of the film would you say is again Genndy Tartakovsky film and how much is an Adam Sandler movie? <laughs>
1: uh
2: Cause those are two very different things.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, I think this, the second one is definitely the story and some of the humor is driven a little bit stronger by Adam. And then the visuals are still very much everything that I've done. Uh, And I think you can feel that. And so, you know, uh, just like, you know, collaborating on anything, kind of you win some, you lose some and some are in the middle. And so, uh, you, you'll you'll i think it's pretty obvious if, if you, especially sure. if you're familiar with my work it's yeah. obvious kind of what is me and what's not but generally it still has a a, a big tone to it
2: understood um it's a very complicated question <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that I didn't mean to throw you for right. a no no i'm good um so since the uh the film was such a success. I think it's a foregone conclusion that we're going to see a a number three, a Hotel Transylvania three at some point. Um, Would you come back for another or are you out?
1: I'm out. I think it's, you know, um, I have my hesitations about doing a second one. And then I think the third one is pretty much uh, off the table for me. Um, I have a lot of ideas, you know, it takes, you know, two, three years for each one of these. And yeah, I feel like it's time I have to do one of my own originals.
3: Yeah, so that's great. what I'm uh,
1: that's what I'm shooting
2: for. And, I, and speaking as a fan of yours, and, and on behalf of many of your fans, I I, I think that it's we're, we're eager to see something original that you've got coming up. So we're we're looking forward to that. Awesome. Um, I, I have a quick question from a from a listener. Um, <laughs> uh, if Drac has avoided humans for over 118 years, how does he know how to rap?
1: I <laughs> uh, he. <laughs> I don't know. He probably, you know, he's still he avoids humans,
2: but I think he still sees enough that he knows how to do it. Yeah, excellent. Good enough. Yeah. So you have been in the business for a long time. Obviously, you've created some all-time fan favorite properties, um, um, and uh, you're known as an artist with an incredibly strong vision. Um, But I've also read a lot of interviews with you, and I feel it's obvious that there's been a lot of frustration over the years with the number of different projects. And I'm just wondering if you still feel like you have something to prove with each project.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, um, I don't know if it's something to prove, but I think you, you, you want to keep pushing, you know, I don't want to just do the same thing over and over again. So each project that I try to do, it's, it's a little different from the last, which makes it difficult, you know? I mean, from Dexter through Samurai through Star Wars, they're all quite different. And, um, and going forward, it's the same thing. You know, I think it's, I've got a lot of different style of ideas to do and, and you want to always push the envelope and it's, it's, you know, in a business where if something succeeds, you just want to redo it again,
0: Mm -hmm. it's hard to do that,
1: you know? and yeah. uh, and i want to be i want to be in a scenario where the studio loves me and believes in me and trusts me and we do movie after di- movie and one is different than the next
3: thank you for listening to our interview with gendy Tartakovsky. now we're going to move on to our interview with matthew lillard enjoy
2: we're talking today about uh, Be Cool, Scooby-Doo, uh, which is something like the 12th version, I think, of the Scooby Gang that we've seen over the years. And just really quickly, how is this one going to be different from the previous shows that we've seen?
0: Um, I, think from the previous, I, I think it's different because, you know, it's certainly the most kid-friendly one we've seen in a long time. Um, I think it's fresh. I think the animation's super tight and sharp. I think it's funny. I mean, it's very much along the lines, I mean, the comedy I find is very much along the lines of like, uh, like a March Brothers.
3: It's mm-hmm. very it's very
0: quick. It's very witty. Um, it's clean, sharp, funny, and witty. And I think it's for kids. I mean, the last you know, incarnation of the show, which was fantastic, which was Mitch Watson's uh, Mystery Incorporated, was right. really geared towards like tweens. They're trying to generate this, um rich tapestry th- of storytelling and sure it's got a great story they told really scary mo had yeah, really scary moment an overarching story for two years, and it's like a really well crafted show and I think that this is um it's just it's shorter and faster and funnier and quicker and more kid friendly so yeah um it's great i mean I love it
2: yeah it's funny that you mentioned um mystery incorporated as being really well crafted because it's at at geek dad there's a lot of writers and uh it's kind of a general consensus that mystery incorporated is one of the best animated shows ever um and i know we're not alone in thinking that because it was really well received critically and by fans um and i'm wondering if you have a lot of pressure or is there any sort of you know anything looming over you it's like how do you follow that up or is it just because it's a different audience it's you're not even going to compare
0: Well, I don't think you're going to compare. I don't think that they're trying to compare. In fact, I think that continually... You know, it's funny is that for us, creatively on the creative side, I think that it was a huge, huge accomplishment. And we're all super proud of that show and really proud of the work. For the actual entity, Scooby-Doo, I don't know if it was as successful as we all wanted it to be. Because... It was it didn't follow the kind of traditional tropes of Scooby-Doo. In that, right. you know, it was it wasn't geared for kids. It was geared for us. It was geared for the you know the geeks of the world. And it, I mean, it just it, it it was a an aggressive take. And while mm-hmm. it's creatively satisfying, I don't know if it satisfied the kids out there. And I think the yeah. great thing about this new version is that its goal is to be fun and to be funny and to appeal to those kids again and get them back into the franchise. And also, mm, okay. look, the, the thing about Scooby-Doo is that the challenge is, is you're always trying to reinvent the wheel. I mean, you're trying to find a way to fashion up a franchise that's been around for 46 years. Right. And, you know, that, that comes with challenges. Like, you know, you've told that story a million times. How can you do it this time with different... That will find that new generation of Scooby Doo lover and hook them like it did for us when we were kids. So right. I think they're I think that they're kind of off the hook in terms of the pressure of reliving what that was.
2: Yeah. Um. So Mystery Incorporated had some you know quote unquote non traditional aspects um within the Scooby Doo franchise as you just mentioned um in, including you know romantic relationships that are uh, blatantly and overtly romantic relationships among the among the Scooby gang um are we going to see anything like that or is this sort of this is just pulling it back to its roots
0: I think it's pulling it back to more of its roots I do think that there are elements that are very different than our traditional Scooby-Doo um right you know I think the mysteries are based on what the gang is doing more um, you know, instead of just come happening upon a hidden, you know, uh, 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 or stumbling upon a mystery, the mysteries are kind of born out of who the characters are. I think the characters every week have different ongoing um, lottees. I mean, they have different ongoing kind of shtick. I think that mm-hmm. all the characters are funny. I and mean, in the past, it's really been Jaggy and Scooby. There's been the comic relief, and... Fred just drove the van and solved the mysteries. Right. Um, I think that now it's more ensemble funny. I mean, I think that all of us have more to do with the comedy and more to do with being funny. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, it's, it's. Um, I think the show is faster and quicker and sharper, and everyone is at play in terms of telling the jokes. Um, right. And I think that's different. You know, that's definitely a, yeah. a deviation from what it's always been.
2: Yeah. Are we gonna see Scrappy? I don't
0: I have I have a feeling that nobody ever wants to see Scrappy again. So it's <laughs> a a huge moment to uh make that happen. Uh, but as of yet, yeah, I mean we just got Greenlit for the second season and who knows? You know, okay. so th- there's still hope for all the
2: Scrappy lovers out there.
0: There is I mean, yeah, I don't wanna I don't wanna crush any by the way, there's like four people in Nebraska that still
2: like Scrappy. Uh, well, you know, I got to say, my kids recently started watching it. We They got the DVD of like the the, the season that Scrappy was on from way back in the day. And they were uh-huh. fans. You know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't. They were. They liked they liked Scrappy. But, you know, they're four and six. <laughs> yeah.
0: They can't hold that against them.
2: That's all. Exactly. <laughs> So I know uh, Frank Welker is back as Scooby and Fred and Grey Delisle is back as Daphne, but Velma is Kate Micucci and that she's new. And that just seems so obvious. And I'm wondering, like, did she just fit in, like, seamlessly with the crew or did, you know, how did that work out? Look,
0: she is um, a true love. I mean, she's just unbelievable. And the person she is, she's fantastic. She loves being a part of the franchise. She's super fun, super easy, um, and is lovely. And she fit in like a glove. I mean, she, you know, when she she came in with Zach and John, basically, when I mean, they had decided to kind of freshen that character up a little, and which we are all susceptible to, except for Frank Welker, who's a legend. Um, right. <laughs> and when they brought in Kate, I mean, it was like she, it wasn't even you know, one episode before you're like, oh, you can totally get it. And she got it. And she loved it. She jumped in with Reckless Abandon. Awesome. uh, She's been fantastic ever since. So she's now part of the family.
2: Fantastic. Uh, You started out as Shaggy in the two live action films, and it was astonishing how good you were at the voice that uh, Casey Kasem made so famous. Uh, Was that something that you always played with, like growing up? Was that like a voice you did, or did you have to develop it for the film?
0: Uh, no, it was very funny. There's um, the story goes, and I think I've told it before, that you know I would have to, to, to get ready to. I, I'm, not, I'm not an impression guy. I don't, I'm not that guy. You yeah. I mean, you get into a booth with some of these legends. We had, you know, D. Baker and and Billy yeah. West and Jeff Ben in, in the studio last week, and they all sat around and did their impressions. And Frank Frank can do a hundred impressions. Right. Um, and I'm not that guy. I, I got an audition to go in for Scooby-Doo. It was a huge movie. I knew I was tall and skinny and I had a chance. And the only way I could figure out how to do the voice was to scream myself hoarse. <laughs> um, so I would, I would literally sit in the car and scream until I got scratchy voice. And then wouldn't need to audition. And so, you know, I was like, oh, well, if I get the part, I'm going to have to figure out how to do that without screaming all day. Yeah, um, probably
2: not the best advice to give to young voice actors out there, right?
0: No, that is not how Well, nobody should have to worry about doing Shaggy for a long time, I'm hoping. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, he uh yeah, so you know, I, I figured it out as I went along. And now, you know, now I do it for, you know, once a week if not four times a week in terms of being the ongoing voice of Shaggy in the franchise, which is, you know, from that screaming myself horse to the moment I'm in now is a long journey. I have to say, it's been fantastic. It's, you know, in in our lives where you're, you know, you're on a movie for three months and then you're done. Um, it's great to have a job that's gone on for this long and, you know, that you can kind of be a, a custodian for a character, uh, an iconic character and kind of protect it and know it and, and uh, it's it's just been a real honor to kind of be a part of the franchise for so long, and hopefully going forward.
2: Yeah. Well, you. I mean, you're now the voice of Shaggy, so you play him on the show, in all the direct to DVD films, and even the video games. So you're in the new Lego Dimensions, correct?
0: Yeah. I'm. I'm. If it's Shaggy right now, it's me. I mean, you know. But yeah. again, but that always can change. I mean. Yeah. It's 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 mine to to have as long as they'll have me and you know, that's a, that's something that I respect and understand. And if someone comes along and, you know, I need to re- be replaced then that's, that's fine too. It's just nice to have the job as I have it. And, but yeah. look, but I, I will say that, you know, I hold it, uh, you know, I kind of hold it a little precious and protective of it. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to go away. I want to do this job for as long as I can. I mean, I look at Frank at the other side of the, you no, know, we sit next to each other and records, and he's, you know, we were just discussing last week that he's been doing this for forty six years, and you know, I think I think that's got to be a Guinness Book of World Records, right? I mean, it, it could very well be. years. Yeah. So, you know, he, um, you know, the way he handles it and the way he represents the character, and I just think he's the classiest guy in the business. Period. Let alone the voice yeah. of a world, and. uh, you know, if I could, I think Frank's now 117 years old. So if I could be 117 <laughs> like Frank and maintain the voice, when,
2: I'm in. When you started your acting career, did you ever anticipate something like this? <laughs> no, God, no. Did you ever
0: <laughs> when an actor starts his acting career, it's because he's like I'm going to be shaggy. Successful. Yeah, I mean, it's like there's no hope to, uh, to, to, to ever think that you're actually going to find any kind of success maniacal, messed up, crazy business. So yeah. um, I'm super blessed to have the job. I'm super happy to have the job. And, you know, I, I don't
2: take it for granted for a second. Do your kids like Scooby-Doo? My kids could care less. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm a, so I'm a It's not really cool of, having Shaggy for a dad.
0: No, they don't care. It's that thing where, you know, like, yes, there are moments of like, yeah, my. there's always a there's that thing where, you know, I coach my kid's soccer team. I coach my son's soccer team. So for the first three days or the first three practices, they don't know that you're that guy. And then at some point, some parent, someone tells one of them and then the entire team knows. And then, you know, then you're, if you get a shutout and you're doing the shaggy voice after the game of the reward. So it's, yeah. a, it's a terrible, slippery slope when you're shaggy.
2: <laughs> Everybody wants to hear the voice, right? <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I have a seven-year-old boy. I mean, that is the wheelhouse.
2: So, oh, you know, sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you you use it as a a motivating oh, I, factor. I I'm willing to the, bet his
2: friends think you're cool. The what? I said I'm willing to bet his friends think you're pretty cool, even if he doesn't. Well, I
0: have, it's so funny. Is that they? You know, I think I think that we look. I have my goal is to raise normal, healthy, happy human beings. And that has nothing to do with the fact that I have a weird job. And that's exactly how we treat it in my house. My job's a weird job, and dad goes away sometimes to make movies. But at the end of the day, we don't think it's special, so my kids don't think it's special. And so, therefore, my kids, you know, my kids, when confronted with friends that think it's special, quickly give it straight to those kids that it's not a big deal. It's just a weird job. Yeah. So that's what we try to do at least. And we, you know, so far we've got three kids and all three of them are normal and none of them, as a consequence of this theory, really give two <laughs> iotos. Yeah. Whether I'm uh, active or not. So.
2: Well, good for you. It sounds like you're doing it right.
0: Well, we're trying. God knows we're trying.
2: I just want, I've got one more question. I just want to take it away from Scooby Doo yes. for a second. Um, you worked with Wes Craven on the original scream. Um, and I mean, we recently lost him and he was a legend. And I'm just wondering if you have a particularly fond memory of working with him that you could share.
0: I do. I have a great memory. Um, I mean, I have a million memories because he was a dear, 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 dear man and changed my Mm -hmm. life. And, uh, you know, I loved him to pieces. Um, but I have a memory where he said we were at the end of, Scooby, we, were at the end of Doo. we were at the end of Scream and I was shooting Scream and he said to me I walked up to him and Marianne, who was our producer and I said he said we were just talking about you and I said yeah what were we talking about I said I said, um, I said what are you talking about I said well we were just discussing that someday you're going to win an Academy Award and I was like shut up he's like no it's exactly what we were just talking about and I said. Uh, call my mom and dad and tell them that because they're <laughs> terrified that never, you know, I'm not going to make it, and uh, so he's like, back then, not everyone had a cell phone, so he grabbed the cell phone from the set, and called my mom, and said, hi, this is Wes Craven, I just want you to know that, you know, your son's doing this movie, it's a scary movie right now, because that's what it was called, and my prediction is that he's going
2: to win an Academy Award someday. Mm.
0: So I'm still waiting for that opportunity. God <laughs> um, But if you've got Wes
2: Craven's seal of approval, then you, you're on the right road.
0: Well, I will tell you this, that when you know your career ebbs and your career flows and it goes from good to bad, you know, there are moments that keep you going and keep you believing in yourself. And that is mm-hmm. one that
2: I will always cherish. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time with you're us welcome.
3: today. Yeah, thanks for paying attention. Well, there you have it the two interviews that we did this week with matthew willard and Gendy tartakovsky and i gotta tell you my kids are fans big time fans of hotel transylvania first of all and they're also huge fans of scooby-doo and that comes from me i was a big fan of scooby-doo yeah. as a kid kid it was one of my first experiences with saturday morning cartoons and so the second we got netflix that was what the kids watched and yeah. You know, there's a lot of parents that are like, oh, it's too scary. My kids love it. <laughs> yeah, my my yeah. kids do, too. They, yeah.
2: What's funny is that there's there's so many different versions of the show now. Mm-hmm. They uh, they have their favorites, and they surprise me with what their favorites are. The first one that they, I you know, I exposed them to, is they watched the original you know, yeah. from 69. Of course. They, and they like that. Um, and they've watched a, They haven't seen everything. But I think what, what's funny is that, I don't know if you've ever seen it, there was a, a pup named Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. It was the version where they were all little kids.
3: Okay, yeah. It
2: was from like the late 80s, I think. Um, I don't even remember where they first saw it. They may have seen like a clip of it on YouTube or something. And then they very quickly had to buy the DVD. So that's their favorite uh, incarnation of Scooby-Doo, surprisingly.
3: Wow. And I hope to God you didn't show them the one with (laughs) Scrappy-Doo.
2: You know what's funny is that that just came out on DVD. And I was sent that for Geek Dad to review. And I... I remember watching the Scrappy Doo version when I was a kid, and not hating it. Um, but I know that there is a lot of hate for Scrappy. Um, my kids watched it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I kind of have to tell. I'm kind of a little ashamed to say they loved it.
3: Oh no way! Okay, they,
2: they like Scrappy. You wow. Know? And, yeah, mm-hmm. it's. Uh, it was surprising to me. I sat through a <laughs> few of the episodes. They were a little bit painful, but they were not as bad as Time. And all of the uh, fanboys on the Internet make you think that they are. I mean, they're not awful. Yeah. You know, they still have a very big feel of like that old school Scooby. Mm -hmm. Um, Scrappy is annoying. Yeah. But, you know, he's just like Jar Jar. You know, the little kids, if that's their first if your first exposure to him, Scrappy or Jar Jar is when you're little. You, you like him you know yep. the, and those characters are not designed for adults they're not designed right. for us they were for the little kids and they like those those characters
3: hey don't ruin that i think they were designed it for me being <laughs> <laughs> and hotel transylvania 2 talk what an awesome uh box office it had oh yeah it was just, it w-
2: yeah know it, <laughs> yeah, it was uh the biggest opening for sony animation studios i think ever Um, And it was uh, a huge, huge success. And it was funny. I also read that it was, um, if you consider it to be an Adam Sandler movie, which according, you know, based on what Gandhi said to my question, it is. It is. It's very much an Adam Sandler movie. Um, It was the, it had the, it was his biggest opening weekend ever for any of his films.
3: Right. So I think Adam Sandler might have an idea of where his career should veer towards from this point on.
2: I don't know. Not, not, he still makes movies like Pixels, so nothing is stopping him from <laughs> de- destroying good taste.
3: Well, now, it's an interesting question. Do you think it's because, I and I think probably this is true, because of the look of it in the storyline that it was so successful? Or the fact that he, like, could anyone have no, been doing the count? Anybody,
2: I, I mean, nobody could have done it at this point because he started it right. from the first movie. I think if they got somebody else for the first movie to do it yeah. to do that voice, it probably would have still been so successful. I think that parents take their kids to that movie, both of them, because of the story, because of the plot, and because of the design. I think, mm-hmm. I think what draws people in is the Gendi uh, yeah. style. I just love uh,
3: the look of it. Exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah. I was talking to some coworkers and they said the same thing. They said that the look of it, the design of it was beautiful um adam sandler basically ruined it for them though as an adult right. she said she said adam sandler ruined it and i can see that you know i mean mm-hmm. he's annoying i don't like him <laughs> as an actor um but uh, the movie ben the movie shines because of what Gendy brought to it
3: it's gonna be really interesting to see what because there's probably going to be a number three they haven't said it have they i don't think the, but
2: uh they have not officially announced i'm, I'm it.
3: sure it'll happen But they will make because the dollar signs talk, (laughs) and it'll be interesting to see what that looks like without (laughs) Gendy.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're not going to be able to to veer too far away from the look of the first two. It's not like suddenly it's going to be, you know, something completely different. Um, Oh,
3: Gendy's not here. Let's make it look like Toy Story. Exactly. (laughs) Uh,
2: But I think that it will it will suffer in many many respects without him at the helm.
3: Right. Well, that's a great conversation. I'm glad we talked about that.
2: I'm glad we did too, <laughs> Justin. <laughs> All
3: right, guys. As always, we are on the interwebs in many different places. I call it the interwebs. You can find us on Twitter at the GBB podcast. Tweet us. We like hearing from you. We like seeing your tweets. We like retweeting you. And on Facebook, we are facebook.com slash the GBB podcast. And we're running a contest right now for iTunes reviews. Yeah. And... I think it's really cool. Jamie, do you want to tell people about that book?
2: Yeah. We recently recorded an interview with uh, Ian Descher, who is the author of the Shakespeare star Wars adaptations. Uh, If you've not read them, they're fantastic. They set all six um, star Wars films in the Shakespeare universe. And they're all told, you know, just like Shakespeare would have written them in iambic pentameter and acts and scenes. And it's just fantastic. Um, And, so we're running a contest. Uh, you know, we've got one of the books to give away the the Phantom of Menace. It's the uh, obviously the Phantom Menace adaptation. <laughs> it's the first one, the fourth again, just like George Lucas. It was the fourth that he wrote, but it's the first one in the series. <laughs> um, and yeah, so between now and when that interview with Ian uh, airs. We're going to pick one random person who left a, uh, an iTunes review between now and then, and we're going to announce it on the show
3: who gets the book. So after you leave the iTunes review, make sure to send us a tweet or a message letting us know that you did, because sometimes the username on iTunes is, you know, I'd have no idea who you were, right? Oh, true. So send us a tweet. Say, hey, I left the iTunes review. This was me. Whatever. Send us a message. Mm-hmm. Let us know, and we'll enter you into that draw i guess Excellent. random draw yeah, <laughs> games of chance to decide the winner i don't know <laughs> we'll figure it out all right i'm 140 justin c on everything i'm the robots on everything <laughs> and my real name is justin his real name is jamie but we like to call ourselves that <laughs> my real
2: name is roar <laughs>
3: all right guys we'll see you next week
0: This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.